welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I am back and I am joined by the man who is the best friend and co-host in the entire world. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I'll take that order as well. I like that structure too. The friend then co-host. Yeah. You're, you're also a very fine workplace acquaintance. <laughs> workplace proximity associate. There you go. There you go. Perfect. But I do want to, I deliberately didn't say this to you um, while we were doing our sort of pre-show chat. I wanted to sincerely thank you for basically giving me two weeks plus off from the Total Soccer Show while I did the radiation therapy and just absolutely handling everything so I didn't have to worry about a thing. And I had a bunch of shows to listen to. So thank you. You know my instinct is to be self-deprecating and make it all into a joke. But I'll just say you're welcome, buddy. I'm, I'm glad that you were <laughs> able to recuperate. I do appreciate the traditional Daryl Grove. I'll be fine. <laughs> like, it will have no effect. I'll be good to go tomorrow. And then the slow realization of reality setting in. But, yeah, I'm glad that you were able to recover. And I'm mostly glad that you are now uh, here doing the hello and welcome instead of me. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of the other stuff, like chemotherapy and this and that, like they've warned me about side effects. And I've been like, yeah, but you don't know me. I've, I've got lots of energy. <laughs> I'm good. And I've mostly, you know, ridden through it. This time, everything they said would happen, it happened. Fatigue, nausea, the whole thing. I've been more asleep than awake for the last two weeks. I have noticed that because generally speaking, you are very quick to respond to a text message. And last week, it was a little bit like, oh, I bet bet my buddy's napping right now. And it is worth noting for people who, like, aren't as familiar with you, Daryl, that, like, Daryl doesn't show the symptoms, like obviously aside from like the weight loss and things like that, but it is it is easy to forget like the the diagnosis and treatment you are undergoing because Daryl just kind of rolls with it. So like when we're uh, on the road and we're doing conventions and stuff like that, it's 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 sort of easy to forget until we have the morning process of Daryl getting ready, which does take a little bit longer, and then it kind of comes <laughs> back home. Um, oh, well, I hope to repay you with paternity leave. Um, <laughs> yeah, later, yeah. <laughs> later this year. How about that? It could all work out. Where Luckily, I'm just recording through bloodshot eyes with my hair standing straight up. Yeah, should be fine. Yeah, rocking a baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was wide awake today mm-hmm. for Atalanta versus PSG in the Champions League quarterfinal, first and only leg. So we are here to review that game. We're going to talk about some U.S. men's national team uh, transfer rumors that are inching towards being actual transfers, right? With Anthony Robinson and Weston McKinney. And we're going to talk a little MLS's back final as well. But let's start with Atalanta PSG. Let's um, do it. This game went about the way I thought it was going to go for about the first 60 minutes, and then it dramatically changed, and it did not end up going the way I thought it would. I thought uh, Atalanta would, would win this one. Uh, instead, PSG fight back and get the result, Daryl Grove. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you saw this coming the whole time. <laughs> I did not. I really thought Atalanta were going to see it out. It just looked like, it looked like honestly, it wasn't Neymar's day, despite yep. him uh, doing everything possible. Right? I, this was a game where I was quite Im- really impressed with Neymar um, and his not quite one man effort. It was just enough of a taking the team on your shoulders, but then also trying to help teammates out at the same time kind of performance. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's what I I've do, always I- wanted to see from Neymar Jr. There we are. I will say this. like we're, I'm sure we're going to talk more about Neymar and the game he had and the reception yeah. to that game. I will just add this. There is a thing where if you've just been kind of completely stymied by a goalkeeper at a certain point, like people who play FIFA have probably experienced this. People who've played soccer certainly have. But there is a thing where like if you get shut down so many times, there is a moment when you're shooting, when you're just like, why am I even doing this? Like It's not going to go in. And there will be that moment when like you're no longer really putting in that good faith effort because you're just assuming your shot's going to be saved. And I do think, 
think he started to have some of those opportunities, and that's when they're able to get more attackers on, and that's when the game kind of turns around, I think. But there was a moment when I was like, oh, this is going to go that way, of him getting frustrated and starting to yell at people, and it's all going to be a meltdown. And then he pulled it back, Daryl, just when we thought he was out. There were a few like gestures to teammates, right? Yeah. And there was that terrible, terrible, terrible shot where he got gifted... Um, the ball on a sloppy, sloppy back pass. Uh-huh. And he just seemed to hit it as hard as he could, yep. but high and wide and to the left. That's mm-hmm. the moment when I thought, oh no, this is not Mr. Neymar's day. Yeah, because you can see the thought process there. The first one where he's played in, in what, like the third minute? And he yeah. goes for the the finesse, the, he picks his spot, and then he completely misses that one. And so it almost feels like then with the shot you're talking about, he's like, never mind, no finesse. I will just crush yeah. this as hard as Bang. I can. And misses that too. Yeah, he wanted to, he wanted to imitate Fernando Addy. In 2015. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it's a topical You shouldn't have yelled Addy Smash as he, uh, as he struck that. Um, that was so the big for mistake. Those, for those who did not see the game, just so, mm-hmm. just so everybody knows, Atalanta went ahead in the 26th minute um, with Pasalic. Uh, then they really looked like they were going to hold on. PSG equalised with Marquinhos in the 90th minute and scored the winner with Stoke City relegated uh, Chopu Matting in the 93rd minute. We all knew that Stoke City relegated Chopra Matting would be the man to change this game. Right? Did you see that tweet of like how many uh, former Stoke players have played in different important finals, yes. but just not, not just, for Stoke? Not just random Stoke players, but the team that got relegated, right? Yeah. Had, um, I think, yeah. a player nearly every year since 2007 in yeah. the Champions League semifinals. And Chopra Matting is continuing that fine, fine, fine tradition. Um, and I think so what we've it, learned is just keep signing players. That's the answer. Just keep going for it. Spend <laughs> some more money. It'll all work out. So that's your box score, right? It's a massive Mm. PSG comeback. It probably washes away some of the hurt of that Barcelona um, opposite of a comeback that they perpetrated a few years ago. But let's get into the tactics of this game, Taylor. Let's start with this. Why were Atalanta ahead and why did it feel like Atalanta's game for so very, very long? Um, I think it's because Atalanta did what we knew they were going to do. It was a back three slash a back five. It was Papu Gomez doing what he wants. It was a front two. It was not Ilicic, obviously, for a number of different speculated reasons. Difficult to know exactly sure what the reason was, but instead it's Zapata and Pasalic. But it's basically Atalanta playing their game, and I think PSG tried to play sort of more reactive game, or at least took a more reactive approach. I think if you look at that lineup, a midfield three of Marquinhos, Idrissa Ganagé, and Ander Herrera is not the sort of creative fulcrum that you might expect from a team that spends money the way PSG do, the way they, Sam and I talked about this. I I asked if he thought they might end up playing a 4-2-4, which they have done previously. They did not, obviously, but like that's where I was in my thinking. So I think they came out and tried to have a more defensive approach. I think, number one, it didn't really work that well. And number two, it also really limited what they were able to do from an attacking standpoint. So I agree with you, but I think the thinking from Thomas Tuchel was don't get counterattacked. Yeah. Right? Don't get counterattacked. Make sure we keep uh, uh, Ghana, uh, Marquinhos, and Herrera as a, like, a tight central three. And that way, there won't be masses of space to get exploited through the middle. Mm-hmm. And that, that didn't really happen, right? I know Atalanta's goal, they actually did end up playing a ball. Zapata receives it between the lines, right, of midfield and defense. But that ball wasn't that often that on, and the big counterattacks weren't that often that on. So I would say, in a weird way, it worked from Thomas Tuchel until you were a goal down, right? Until well, you were a goal down. 
And there's there is something. It's a strange. It's a strange thing where it can work, but then it can also be exploited at the same time. Because I think you're you're probably right that with that midfield three, they do keep their shape. They do hold the middle. They don't really get extended or stretched. And you have the back four that I think kind of tried to stay tight to really limit options through the middle. They didn't want say Papu Gomez sort of finding a spot and being able to create something in the middle. But what I think that led to is too much space out wide, and it gave Atalanta consistent opportunities to switch the ball so they weren't under much pressure. And even the goal comes from basically everybody being too narrow. Atalanta have wide runners coming inside, and it ends up in a goal. And I think sort of the, that approach from Thomas Tuchel initially works, but then they beget, become like too defensive and too central, and they yeah. end up 1-0 down. So should we talk about that first goal then? Sure. Um, one thing I'd like to highlight is the reason Atalanta have the ball um, to score this first goal is a thing that they did really well is when PSG had the ball coming out of the back, right? Whether uh, Kimbempe has it or Kelo Navas has it. Um, Atalanta essentially stepped and played man to man, right? And it wasn't like high that pressure. Big, that was a big thunderbolt. <laughs> oh, I just got it a few seconds later. Yeah. <laughs> it traveled at the speed of sound. <laughs> oh, that would be really interesting. I wonder if listeners will hear that at one end and then on the other. That would be really interesting. There um, is a storm. I will say that. There sure is. It's not the first one today. Nah. Uh, there's a storm coming and his name is Chepu Moting. <laughs> <laughs> so what I was saying is whenever PSG were trying to play the ball out of the back, Atalanta would step high mm-hmm. and they wouldn't chase the ball, but they would step high and block off all the options man to man in a San Jose earthquakes kind of styley, right? Yeah. It's not massive. It's not dissimilar. And so PSG would end up most often going long or going direct. And then usually Atalanta would win the ball back, right? Often it was Caldara um, who would step and win it. Um, and it's worth noting, I think I was texting you about this. Every player on Atalanta is tall except for Gomez. Yep. Yeah. So a- um- any direct balls that PSG would play in forward, they were at a massive height disadvantage every single time. Yeah, I mean, and like the height disadvantage certainly is one thing, but then to your point, also anytime you're forcing the goalkeeper to go long, it is strange how much soccer has changed in our lifetime, that that was obviously the way you attack, is through a long kick from the goalkeeper, and now it's like, well, that's the worst thing you could be going for. (laughs) But you're absolutely right that it's, like the one that always kept standing out to me was uh, Gomez sitting on Marquinhos, and Marquinhos was sort of like, well, I'm told to man mark you so if you're marking me i guess i'm technically doing my job so i'm not <laughs> going to move at all and so marquinhos was kind of static tiago silva and kimpembe would spread wide but they were sort of static once they were marked which was pretty regularly and pretty often and pretty early and pretty often and yeah you're absolutely right then there's not a lot of movement there weren't many people dropping in so it's Kalo navas going long every time and it allows atalanta to come right back at psg and again i think that explains that sort of first half dominance from the italian side yeah, and that is really is where this first goal comes from. Navas goes long and Caldara, I think, just heads it to Gomez. I think Gomez is fouled, but then takes it quickly. So we're, so we're off and we're away. And then Atalanta start building for this, this first goal. I'd argue there's actually quite a bit of luck in this first goal. For which reason? Um, there's, the, uh, like, there's the pass that is overhit to Zapata, which is then recovered and sent back to him. And then he tries to turn, is it Silver or Kimbempe? I can't remember which centre-back mm-hmm. steps up. He tries to do the through-my-legs-and-turn thing, and it's like yeah. a half-tackle. And then he eventually gets the poke away to Pasalic, right? So a little bit of fight and a little bit of luck is how I'd phrase this for Atalanta. Yeah, which I, I, think, I think is sort of the way you could describe Atalanta this season to some extent. It's yeah. a lot of hard work and then a little bit of luck. Uh, I think that luck just ran out, and maybe a lot of that hard work explains the second-half fall-off. <laughs> I want to talk about this goal a bit more, though. Um, Let's go. Zapata does eventually get that ball out to Prasalic. Do you think that's a deliberate pass, or is he just poking his leg at it? Now he's created a 50-50 with, uh, I think, Kimbempe. 
I think it was deliberate. I think he knows what he's aiming for and is trying to get it to a, a teammate or is at least aware that there's somebody there who's in a better position. But maybe that's just me wanting to give them the benefit of the doubt. Where are you on that one? <laughs> I Yeah, I think there's just enough of the fact that it goes directly into Pasalic's path. Um, it would have to have been very, very, very lucky to that have been like to have just been all, all chance, right? Yeah. So maybe he's just got those long legs and just pokes it just enough. I give a lot of the credit here to Pasalic for taking this first time. Because when I, I rewatched this and rewatched this, and what I noticed is Kelo Navas didn't get chance to get his feet set because Pasalic oh. hits it as soon as it as soon as it rolls into his path. Okay, all right, Daryl Grove, noticing things, seeing things. I like it. Yeah, it's my job, right? <laughs> I I will say I finally was able to load my notes from the game. I do have it as ball spills, sort of fortunately. Disc? But PSG too focused on crowding the middle, leaving space on the wings. Early header was from a similar spot. Those are my yeah. notes from that goal. You're not wrong. You're not wrong there. But Navas was definitely sort of just scrambling and changing his angle and getting ready. But just as he's trying to get ready, uh, Pasalic has already hit it and it's already in the top corner. There we go. And this, there was something to me very Atalanta about that first time, the bravery of that first time take. How, how so? Just, just because just you got to try, of, you gotta try take your shots? Yeah, just take your shots. Just in terms of like, I don't know if we're all just getting carried away with the um, Atalanta love. But it just seemed like, you know, there was a, a centre-back up there passing that ball into Zapata. And, and then there's Pasalis just hitting it first time from a weird angle when I think most players would have taken a touch and tried to settle it. There's just a weird bravery to what Atalanta are doing. Yeah, and I think they deserve it. I mean, I think they deserve that credit. I saw some of that, like, I would argue, I think I saw a lot of jokes about how it's the hipsters who care about Atalanta. I would say it's the hipsters who are anti-Atalanta because other people like them. But it did feel like there was sort <laughs> That's of the real hipster cynicism. take, right? Is to, to yeah. be like, uh, yeah, on the rebound already. Because it, it feels like it feels a little bit cynical in, the, in that regard. Because to me, Atalanta, a team that re- like we're surprised are even in the top four in Italy to begin with, let alone making it to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. And uh, then you have the the Bergamo aspect of things. The epicenter of uh, COVID nineteen in Italy is where they're based. Basically, it's part of the reason why Ilicic isn't there. If you believe that reporting, uh, which I do, uh, and and I think. Then that, like, remember only four or five years ago, there were all of the think pieces about, like, is the Champions League done? Are we ever going to have another small team go far? Or is it always just going to be the big teams? And to be in a situation where we have Lyon, who are still a big team, don't get me wrong, but certainly not at the level of some teams like PSG, Man City, Bayern, Barcelona, and then Atalanta in that group as well. I think it's, it's a reason why we're all sort of buying into the, the hype and the mystery of Atalanta. Yeah, let's not be ashamed of it, right? Nah. Let's, let's just enjoy it. I guess there's yeah. not much more to enjoy, though, now because they yeah, are not so much. <laughs> All right, before we talk about PSG's uh, comeback, all this praise of Atalanta has mm-hmm. made me hungry, Taylor. So oh, I yeah? want to talk about today's first sponsor. Today's I mean, show is sponsored by... HelloFresh. HelloFresh offers so many recipes to choose from each week to help you break out of your recipe rut. And they do uh, frequently have options that are either Italian in nature or at least feature <laughs> some Italian ingredients. And I will say, Atalanta, you think of Northern Italy, and suddenly I'm like, okay, I could, I could go for some Tuscan food right now. Let's make that mm-hmm. happen. And, and HelloFresh can, at the very least, help you cook delicious meals that you will enjoy. They offer fresh, high-quality ingredients every week for a super flavorful experience. And they also let you skip those trips to the grocery store and make home cooking fun 
easy and affordable. With pre-portioned ingredients, it means there's less prep for you and less food waste. And from my personal experience, it means I can never get it wrong. You can't have too much salt or not enough salt or too much garlic. You can actually never have too much garlic. But you do have the pre-portioned ingredients that make sure that you get the recipe right, even if you're not the best cook like I am not. Yeah. But I think I want to emphasize the point you made about not having to leave the home. Because right now, as people might be able to hear, lots of thunder, very heavy rain. My large dog is currently shaking. I don't want to have to leave the house to go grocery shopping in this situation. I left earlier right as the rain started, and I came back to her looking at me with a complete look of betrayal. Uh, <laughs> so with HelloFresh, they deliver it right to you. It, it comes to your door. It's refrigerated. So even if you're not quite there, if you're not ready to go outside into the rain quite yet, it will keep until you are. And if you want to get $80 off, go to HelloFresh.com slash 80TSS and then use the code 80TSS, that's 80TSS, to get $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. And one more time, that's HelloFresh.com slash 80TSS. Use code 80TSS to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping. Thank you very much to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's episode. Now let's talk halftime second half, if that works for you, Mr. Grove. Yeah, so after Atalanta score, I would argue it's more of the same, right? Atalanta keep doing what they're doing, which is, you know, stepping high, being brave, um, looking somewhat dangerous. But mostly, I would argue, because they're stepping so high, they're occasionally susceptible to Neymar dribbling through a couple of people. Yeah. <laughs> occasionally meeting once every 10 minutes or so? Yeah. I mean, even the, the chance you talked about earlier, it's the chance that comes really early in the game, right? I want to say mm-hmm. it's like the third minute. Yep. Um, it is uh, Neymar getting away from his constant marker, Caldera, with a quick touch and acceleration, playing a quick one-two, and then he's in on goal. And I, actually, this is an interesting way to look at it. Do you think Caldara had a good game or not? Because I kept going back and forth on this. I kept seeing him sticking to Neymar and thinking, oh, yeah, you're doing a great job. And then I keep seeing him getting burned by Neymar consistently. I don't, no, I don't, think he, I don't think he particularly did. I don't necessarily know if he had a bad game either, but I think simply marking a player and doing a, like a good job of that 80% of the time feels like a thing some of our teammates would want credit for, and we would be loath to give them that credit because that other 20% led to very clear-cut chances yeah. and some embarrassing moments. But and, and I'd say it's not like it's all Caldera's fault. No. It's like a part of the Atalanta system, right? There's a lot of space at the back because sometimes the centre-backs get forward, and again, everything is quite stretched and high. That um, if you're just going to go one-to-one with Neymar, you're... I would say almost any defender in the world is going to get in trouble at some point. Yeah. Uh, or any recent goal scorer, because it's Pasalicu, what, scores and then immediately gets nutmegged? Like, <laughs> yes. that, that's how it's, that's it's going to go, because he, yeah. he does have that, like, yes, he has the reputation we all know for the 46 roles and complaining and everything else, but he also does have that reputation for he will embarrass you in the open field. And yeah. if you're trying to handle him 1v1 and he's coming at you, the advantage is always to him, no matter how good of a defender you are. If it's Virgil van Dijk, yes, he's going to win some of those, but he is going to lose some of those. Neymar is very good on the ball, lest we forget. I want to see that matchup, though. It'd be fun. Yeah. I, feel like, I, think you'd get a, I think you'd get a smash. I think Virgil van Dijk <laughs> would let Neymar know early, is how I'm yes. guessing he would handle some of that defending. And I, <laughs> honestly, I don't think that happened as much. Certainly in the second half it does, as Atalanta go for a little bit more of a hack-a-PSG approach to the game. But at least in that first <laughs> half, I don't think we really saw Neymar get a big hit to sh- sort of try to throw him off his game. Yeah, I think that's true. I would, I would also say Neymar didn't do a lot of the play-acting 
and trying to win free kicks, right? He rode a couple of challenges, I saw him. There was a nice determination mm. about him that I really enjoyed. And also, I know he did uh, Nutmeg Pasalic, but there was also n- not that I didn't see any of the do a trick just to embarrass yeah. you, even if it doesn't go anywhere. Everything seemed to have so- at least a purpose behind it. It felt like once an action had been initiated, it continued. There wasn't a, I'm going to meg you, get it on the other side, and then put my foot on the ball and look around. Yes. It, it felt like it was meg you, and then I'm going to go at goal. I'm going to get past the first defender. I'm going to drive, get past the second, drive again, try to get a shot off. Sometimes maybe it was a bit more elaborate than others, but I'm with you that I thought it was, it was less ponderous from Neymar in this game. So why didn't PSG score until the 90th minute? That's the big question. I do think... Part of it is mental. I think that as soon as he misses that early chance, it's really, really hard. For some reason, the one that always comes back to me is the Marcelo Sarvas missing a penalty on the opening day for DC United. I will always go to that one as like, oh, what could have been if he scores that penalty on the opening day? And that's the thing that wins it. Like, that's the alternate timeline. And it's really hard to shake that. If you have missed a clear-cut opportunity, that clear-cut of an opportunity that early in the game that could have really put you in a strong position, it's tough to get that out of your mind. And I do think it influences some of his missed chances. But I also think it is, as I alluded to earlier, a product of the way PSG set up that I think with three more defense-minded midfielders, you're not getting as much connection through the midfield to the attack. It led to Neymar having to drop back and drop in and try to facilitate some of those attacks. At one point, it really looked like PSG were basically just in a conventional 4-3-1-2 with Neymar yeah. responsible for Free the link-up. Right? Yeah, and that's fine. But it's was also there, not Gomez. Putting... They, they, Thomas Tuchel said, go out there and play like Papu Gomez. Yeah, exactly. Do what he did. Yeah, but do it longer, hopefully, which he did. Uh, but I think then that means Neymar is covering more ground. You're not putting him closer to goal in stronger attacking positions. He's having to do a lot of the work. I think really it's only once Thomas Tuchel makes some pretty aggressive attacking substitutions, starting yeah. with Kylian Mbappe in the 60th minute, though I think that was something that we all saw coming. But then with Paredes coming in, with Draxler coming in, uh, less so with Sergio Rico. That's more of a uh, necessary thing. And then obviously uh, Chupa Moteng, who you've already talked about a little bit. Like, I think a lot <laughs> of those substitutions... He's actually brilliant in the last 10 minutes of this game. He was. He was. Yeah. Uh, I just think those substitutions... As soon as I saw Draxler coming on, though he did have some bad shots himself, it was also a sort of moment of like, ooh, they are going attacking here, and Atalanta yeah. are doing the opposite of that. So the, the key substitution for me was around the 70th minute, it's Draxler and Paredes come in yeah. for Herrera and Idris Aganagay. So Marquinhos remains as a more defensive central midfielder, but those other two guys, they've definitely got more license to not just hold the middle, but to uh, you know go and get involved in the attack, add some wide overloads, like let's, let's go for it, right? Which is... I think around the 17th minute is probably about the right time. It's easy in hindsight to say that, right, with them winning well, 2-1. I, no, I, I would agree with you. I would add, though, that like I think it's that coupled with Kylian Mbappe being on the field 10 minutes prior to that. Because yeah. if you're Atalanta and you think you've kind of got it figured out, you think you've got PSG contained, then Kylian Mbappe comes on, and now it's Mbappe and Neymar. And you see that sort of acceleration, that speed that Mbappe has, the tight control, the problems he's going to cause. Maybe you adapt a little bit to that. But I think as soon as you start focusing on another attacker and then PSG bring in two more attack-minded midfielders, it's another adjustment you have to make. And now you really are sort of spinning plates, juggling balls, trying to figure out <laughs> who needs to be like where and how quickly to get to them. And I think that's when things start to open up for PSG a bit more. 
Yeah, Atalanta start making more defensive substitutions, right? Like Gomez comes off, and I think that was like the other big one. Some yeah. defenders come on for some midfielders for Atlanta, and you can see them backing up, backing up into their own area, and doing a lot of panicky clearances, like more definitely more than they had uh, throughout the earlier part of the game. So yeah, I mean, it was just great pressure from PSG for the the final. I want to say. 15 minutes or so. Uh, one thing I want to back up on, I agree with the importance of Kylian Mbappe coming off the bench. Just for listeners who don't know, what was going on with Mbappe? Is the, like, what's, the, what's the injury? How, why, why didn't he start the game? Do you know the details? I forget what it is. I think he just picked up an injury in training and it hasn't been fully ready to go. Uh, there was some speculation that maybe he would start. There was some speculation that he would miss the game entirely. Thomas Tuchel said he will start on the bench and that's what we ended up getting. All right. Well, in the end, good use of a yeah. not fully fit Kylian Mbappe. Do you want to talk about the two goals? Um, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Why not, eh? Why not? Um, so <laughs> well, the- I, was mostly, I mostly just wanted to say, because it's a thing that like, I think bears repeating, the other aspect of when this game really turns on its head is Papu Gomez going off as early as he does. He goes off okay. in the 59th minute. And I think... One thing that makes him so like threatening as an attacker is he really will just pop up everywhere. You can't man-mark him, but you can't really zone him either. He's just this sort of enigma that's really challenging to deal with. But simultaneously, he's really difficult to replace. And I think as soon as he goes off, uh, Malinovsky comes on. But he cannot do the job the same way, nor do I think he's asked to do the same job. But that is when Atalanta lose a lot of their attacking speed. I think also Zapata is completely gassed. I think most of this team was pretty fatigued, having yeah. played the rest of their season the way PSG did not. So I just thought that their when that forwards work hard happened, defensively, right, as well, to make sure to be closing yeah. things down all the time. Exactly. That man-to-man thing is hard, hard work. Yeah, and so as soon as he came off, basically my feeling was, okay, they are trying to see this game out with a 1-0 win. If they concede, they're going to lose this game. Uh, and that more, more and more felt like it was going to be the case, even with PSG getting opportunities and still not taking them. Those opportunities started to ramp up in frequency, and I would also argue their quality, their sort of uh, expected goal percentage, I'm going to assume, was much higher. And then they do end up getting the equalizer. Yeah, so let's talk about that equalizer then. Let's do it. It, it is promoting. Um, on the right wing, um, so he's replaced Icardi out there. He cuts inside, uh, is it Toloi, I believe, is the uh, n- the number two centre-back. Yeah. Um, just a pretty simple like cut, and I'm inside, and then crosses to the far post. And it is a great touch from Neymar to take it yeah. on the thigh and get the shot away. I think the commentators that I was watching on CBS thought it was like a, a weird shot from Neymar, but I'm pretty sure this shot is blocked, isn't it? I mean, he's credited with the assist, so... Huh. In that regard, maybe, <laughs> but but uh, I, I'm choosing to believe that he just totally meant to do it on purpose. <laughs> well, here's, I saw this shot as blocked, but then being redirected into the path of Marquinhos, yep. who was there to just bury it from reasonably close range. Yeah, and I mean, we all knew it was going to be Marquinhos, right? That was the person who was obviously going to score. Yeah. If, if you uh, like weren't betting on Marquinhos and Chupa Moteng to score the two goals, I don't know what you were doing, because it was so obvious from the beginning. <laughs> You, you're going with some short odds, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would also credit Neymar very heavily for what happens um, in the 95th minute with the winner. There's a lot of Neymar going on here, even though his name's not on the score sheet, or even he won't even get an assist for this. Um, uh, no, he will not. But will yeah. you talk us through it? Because I'm excited to hear you talk about positive things from Neymar. Yeah, so 95th minute, it's 1-1. It starts, there's like a first wave of attack that's half cleared by Atalanta. But it's Neymar beating Caldara on the dribble, 
right? Sort of cutting mm-hmm. inside, much like Chupramoting did uh, to Tadoi a few a few minutes earlier. But that's really what causes all the panic. It's uh, Neymar once again beating Caldara on the dribble. I would love to see Neymar's dribbling stats, his take-ons. I'll bet they're very, very high. I can tell you if you'd like to know. Yes, please. What you got? 16 successful dribbles. That is the most in the history of the UEFA Champions League. Yeah, that feels correct, doesn't it? Yep. Mm-hmm. I think the previous record was tied with Lionel Messi and somebody else on 11. Do you know how many attempts he had? I think it was like out of 17. I think he was like 16 no, for 17 at his dribbles. there's no way. I, it might have even, I think he was 16 for 14 somehow. <laughs> how dare you? But okay, uh, so I do not know that number. Those numbers are fake, but 16 is a real number. Complete yes, 16 is a real wow. number for sure. All right, so one, and one of those was in the 95th minute and it was really mm. important. Um, so that, that creates an attack after he, after he beats Caldara. It's half cleared. I think Kara, the right back, picks it up, gives it to Neymar, and then this pass that Neymar slips yep. down the inside of Palomino, a defender who'd come on, to put Mbappe in that sort of Manchester City cutback spot. Yep. Um, this ball is perfectly weighted and perfectly mm-hmm. aimed. And also sort of doesn't seem like it should be physically possible. Yes. You know, where his feet are to where they end up when he passes it, it is a, maybe a good... This sounds like a bad stereotype, but I really don't mean for it to be. Like, it is the importance of salsa dancing. Because you've got to have, like, the swivel of the hips to be able to pull that off and have the, the precision of the footwork to also be able to back it up. And he yeah. has both of those. That is the only explanation I have for how he's able to do this. Because it's like a swing push pass that he doesn't really get any power behind but somehow does but then also puts perfect weight on it as you said it's really impressive and one that i watched a bunch of times and i'm still sort of mesmerized by and it takes everybody by surprise except for killian mbappe which is what i really really love about it this is the um exact opposite of what happened in the first half Mm -hmm. when neymar crossed it to the far post and Icardi sort of went uh, central and dropped a few yards instead right Um, mbappe and neymar were on the same page Icardi was reading a different book I do like to think that Neymar just turned, stared at Icardi, and pointed at Kylian Mbappe. Like, that's what you do. You do that. <laughs> and just to complete the sequence then, Mbappe squares it, and Chipomoting is there to score the winner in the Champions League quarterfinal. 2-1 PSG. Cue the celebrations. I'm going to say mercifully as well. Because, again, I think at that point, one-to-one, it is – I think I messaged you this, or maybe I tweeted this, that, like, we've seen this before, right? When a team is hanging on, they take off their goal scorer, they take off their playmaker, they take off their creative wing back because they're just completely exhausted. They're bringing in players to try to see the game out. But they're very defensive. It's a very reactionary game plan. There's a lot of fouling happening in that second half uh, from Atalanta's perspective. And I think anytime you then concede that equalizer – and the fact that it is so late, you it really does feel like a backbreaker. It seems like there's yeah. no way we're getting the momentum back into this. We're not going to be able to figure this one out. Atalanta, don't get me wrong, have been very impressive in their fight back in certain games. But here, it just didn't seem like it was going to happen. And so to some extent, I was appreciative of the winner because it spared us a 3-1 to one yeah. extra time with uh, two goals in the first like five minutes of, time at, or of overtime. I think the extra, extra time would have been mm-hmm. no Gomez, no party. For yeah, Atalanta. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I mean, it, it wouldn't have been as fun to watch, I suppose. No. No, it would not have. And it would have been PSG. I don't know how many subs they had left or if they had any, but I think fresher legs, again, from the standpoint of having not played a season. They've played some friendlies. They've played a couple cup games. But like looking at the table, it's a good example of Atalanta third, having played 38 games. PSG are currently 16th in league on Daryl because they've played zero games. <laughs> Alphabetically down to 16th. I know it's 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 trouble. They're in the relegation zone right now. They they got to figure these things out. 
But they are through to the Champions League semi-final where they will play the winner of RB Leipzig and Atletico Madrid, which is tomorrow's game. Mm -hmm. We will, of course, watch and review. There was a a little bit of doubt about this game, right? Because of a couple of COVID uh, positive tests on, Mm -hmm. I want to say, Simi Vishalko and Angel Correa. It looks like they're just going to play without those two. You are also correct. Yep. And that's good news if you're Kieran Trippier. It certainly is. It <laughs> certainly is. And a, a quick refresher for those who missed uh, my conversation with Sam Tai. The expectation will be that this is Atletico doing the Atletico thing of sitting deep in the four four two, looking to counterattack. Uh, they will be happy if it is nil-nil in the 60th minute. Leipzig, I think what we saw in the restart with their sort of being a little bit disjointed with how they were kind of carrying out the pressing system and how they didn't have some of those rotations down. They will probably go all out for those first 20 minutes to try to get that opener. So if it's 1-0 after 15 or 20 minutes, it's Leipzig being very, very happy. If it's 0-0 after 60, I believe the summary was that Atletico will feel much more confident. So obviously no Timo Werner because he's now a Chelsea player, Um, but might get some Tyler Adams. So this is uh, American interest in the rest of the Champions League. All rests on Leipzig versus Atletico Madrid. Weirdly, Sam Tai refused to concede that the entire rest of the Champions League campaign was hinging on an American, which is the argument I was trying to make. (laughs) Strange. Strange how he wouldn't go for that. I know, right? Strange. Did he say it all hinged on Kieran Trippier? He did, weirdly enough. (laughs) All right, before we talk about more Americans, Mm -hmm. um, today's show is sponsored by Fubo, our friends at Fubo. Fubo TV is an over-the-top live TV streaming service. It's what I have on my television, and it is what I would recommend to soccer fans who want as much soccer as possible in their eyeballs. Yeah, and then when you're tired of hearing people talk about soccer and watching soccer, you can then watch The Cooligans, and then it works out really, really well because you don't have to hear any soccer content on that one. (laughs) <laughs> to me a, a lot no a lot of fashion a lot of food a lot of uh, <laughs> uh lot, can i just of say iTunes reviews uh i know we're going to talk a little <laughs> bit more about soccer when it comes to football <laughs> That was a good one. Um, but you can also find like different movies that, that have been streaming, and then you can DVR them, or you can record them for when they come up. Uh, Over the Top, you mentioned there, Daryl, is a Sylvester Stallone movie. I'm hoping you don't know the answer to this, so I can surprise you. Do you know what that movie is about? Mountain climbing? That would be Cliffhanger. No! Nice try. Over the Top is about a truck driver who's a competitive arm wrestler. What? You are welcome. <laughs> have you seen this movie? No, of course I haven't. Good. But I have listened to How Did This Get Made About It, and it was real fun. <laughs> All right. So but you could okay. DVR that if you wanted to, or as Daryl suggested, you could DVR, DVR uh, TUDNA's coverage of the Champions League 10 minutes into the game so that you can then review it, which is exactly what Daryl texted me and exactly what I did. And ah. then I could do that because even if you've missed it, it will record the whole thing. And that is consistently my favorite thing about Fubo. It really is, right? So we've been through all the different potential copy points for Fubo. I think the mm-hmm. one we both like really passionately believe in is the, uh, the DVR that can time travel. <laughs> yes. Even if you started recording um, as... Uh, Hutting scored the winner mm-hmm. in the 95th minute it would backfill and record the entire game for you 
Which is incredible. That feels like some sort of weird future technology that shouldn't exist, yes. but does. And then it's I magic. think it's also the most it's the most obvious one. It's the most like tangible one to some extent. But like the five hundred uh, gigabytes or five hundred hours of storage, if you have the family plan, that's one that I just kind of like forget about because you forget about how much storage you have until you do not have any storage. And I have <laughs> yet to hit that point because there's so much storage to be utilized. Oh, I'm pushing it. I'm at three twenty five right now. Oh boy. Oh yeah. boy! Yeah, we get we're getting there. I might have to uh, might have to do some deleting. Um, the other big thing to really know about Fubo is it's like unlike other over the top TV streaming services, it was set up with soccer fans in mind, right? So it deliberately has all the channels you need for soccer. So it has ESPN, it has ESPN two, it has Fox Sports one and two, it has NBC Sports, it has uh, Two Day NA, which really is an absolute goldmine. If you're cool with Spanish language commentary, there is so much content on Two Day NA and all the Two uh, Day NA extra channels, and there's all kinds of other channels as well that I haven't even mentioned. So yeah, I'm gonna take my. I'm going to take my second shot at the Cooligans here and say I'm going to feel a little bit like Alexis Guerreros when I ask you this. Did I miss the ESPN? Is that official now? Yes, ESPN. It's, I watched the uh, MLS is Back tournament on ESPN on Fubo last night. That would have been good to know before <laughs> I panicked and tried to find a stream for it. <laughs> I'm only a text away, Taylor. I'm only a text away. Um, You mentioned the family plan. This is the other big thing to know about Fubo. If you sign up for the family plan, three people can watch Fubo at once. And I think I've mentioned this before, Fubo do not genetically test you to make sure that you are related. So your family can be any three people that you want. And with one subscription, three people can watch Fubo at the same time. I can't say it any more clearly than that, can I? Um, And if you want to maybe just get a free trial, if you go to fubo.tv slash TSS today, start your seven-day free trial. You won't regret it. That's fubo.tv slash TSS. The link will be in the show notes. And the third one of the ad read, and if you don't like it, uh, contact the Cooligans for your money back. There you go, yeah. Polanco will reach into his pocket. Exactly. Thank you to Fubo for sponsoring this episode of the Total Soccer Show. We've talked Champions League. Shall we talk MLS is back? Yeah, let's talk MLS is back. I said we would talk American transfers, but let's just tease that a little bit longer then. All right. All right. MLS is back um, is over. And Portland Timbers (laughs) are your champions. They beat Orlando City 2-1 last night in Orlando. They did. And first of all, a final that everybody saw coming. I think we all knew it was going to be Portland-Orlando from the start. That wasn't <laughs> at all a surprise. Uh, I, I did think with momentum being as it was and with Orlando sort of being the team more likely to take the game and be the more attacking team and Portland sitting back, I thought we would maybe get an Orlando win. But in the end, it is Portland sort of riding their game plan to victory and I would say riding set pieces and Diego Valeri's ability especially. <laughs> so yeah, both goals are from Portland centre-backs, uh, Mabiala and Zuparic. Um, the first one especially, the Mabiala goal, is an absolute beauty of a delivery from Diego Valeri. I, it's ridiculous. It is so perfect. It is everything you want from a free kick like that delivered into the box. It is low enough that you can't really react to it from a defensive standpoint, but high enough that you can't just cut it out easily. It's got bend on it, so it's difficult to read, but it's also one of those where you watch it over and over again and you start to wonder, like, is this a thing that they have practiced where Mabiela knows it's going to be at this exact spot if he can get to it? Because it just ends up looking so choreographed and so well-timed that it's really a joy to, uh, to watch. Did it seem like the, the ball hung in the air for a lot yes. longer than physics should dictate? It was a little bit like um, Air Jordan. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it just hung a little too long um, that we might be in the Matrix. 
That, that could also be. Diego Valeria is known to exist in the Matrix. He does sometimes wear all black leather and black sunglasses. <laughs> um, the other thing I would note um, is Nani for Orlando City. Mm-hmm. I feel like Nani was having a bit of a Neymar game and not a good ah. Neymar game. There was a lot of give the ball to Nani and hope something happens. And mostly what would happen is he would get fouled but wouldn't get the free kick and then would complain about it a lot to the referee or mm. would eventually get tackled. So yeah. he does get the um, he does get the assist on um, Pereira's goal, but that's really all that Nani created despite the entire game being Orlando giving Nani the ball and Nani trying to make something happen. And to be generous to both Orlando and Nani for a moment, I think part of that is maybe just Nani being Nani, but I think also a large part of that is fatigue and the short timeline and Pereja still, you know, being new to the job, getting like, like having just come back onto it from the suspension of play. Yeah. Like, I think you could sort of see Orlando reaching that point and then it being like, okay, now if you want to win this game, if you want to beat a, a very compact, forgive me for the cliche, but well-organized defense, (laughs) well-drilled defense, very rigid defense, you've got to have other options. You've got to find other ways through or you can try to ride your star player and see if they can make something happen. And I'm with you that it did feel like that's sort of what Orlando ended up relying upon, or at least Nani ended up relying upon himself. Yeah, and I don't want to be too critical because this really is the best performance Orlando mm-hmm. City have ever put into like any type of soccer um, tournament or league or regular season or anything set up, right? So this is a huge success for Orlando City, and it m- means they're looking good for the rest of the 2020 season. But on the night, Portland Timbers definitely deserving winners i want to talk about the winning goal uh the sure. winning goal which came in the 66 minute from dario uh Zuperich. um this had a couple of uh couple of deflections in the build-up it did um, it was um eric williamson with the first the first strike i've forgotten who hits the second strike and then it then it falls to Zuperich. but i want uh, to give a- uh Ibobisi. Ibobisi, of course my apologies uh former total Soccer guest right but Indeed. i want i want to give a lot of credit to williamson for that initial cut um, and just for for being for being Williamson, because do you remember like we watched Williamson play for the uh, US mm-hmm. under 20s uh, way, way back? I want to say it was like 2017 World Cup, maybe. Um, and then DC United traded him and then he played for Timbers 2 for a long time. Mm-hmm. And now and then the random team in Portugal, right? I can't remember. Did you ever? Did you ever go in Portugal as well? There was that like random team that were like on an island, I think, in Portugal, and it was very confusing as to how that had happened. And I think it was like the Portuguese second league or something like that. Yeah. Ooh, but now Williamson is essentially, and I don't want to get carried away saying this, but he has replaced Darlington Nagby in Portland Timbers midfield. Oh boy! I'm not saying he's the new Darlington Nagby. Their styles of play are uh, no, very, it's very too late. You've already different. said it. It's already being written down, Daryl. I'm not even doing the show notes, but it's going in the show notes. But just hear me out. Right, when the Timbers won with Keller Porter in, I want to say, 2015, their midfield was Chara, Nagby, Valeri, right? Mm-hmm. Their MLS's back winning midfield is Chara, Williamson, Valeri. Okay. So this, is, right. this is happening. I'm, I'm with you now. Okay, I'm all in. Yeah. And and I, I really enjoyed what I saw from him. I did enjoy Ibobisi in this one as well, especially yes. in this goal, because... Like, like it reminded me of in uh, the NWSL tournament, uh, the Challenge Cup. I, I always want to say NWSL is back. That is wrong. Uh, where like Ashley Sanchez had <laughs> it that was, sort um, of like. It was called NWSL is back first. 
Yeah, exactly. That's the one. <laughs> uh, Ashley Sanchez has that like flick at the near post, and yeah. there's the debate about did she mean to precisely do that, or is she just trying to keep it alive and hoping something happens? And to some extent, that's what you have to do in these moments. And I think Ibobasi, like maybe he's shooting, but I think all he's really trying to do is keep the ball alive and sort of direct it towards the goal but I think in that moment rather than trying to bring it down and tight control and then turn and get a like a big shot off just keep it alive keep the chaos and confusion going that's a big part of attacking set pieces once that ball is loose in the box and I think it's a big part of why that goal ends up in the back of the net yeah Bobasi's really come out of this tournament with a a lot of credit right Mm -hmm. Um, there was a lot of stuff that I'd seen from him in US games but I hadn't watched enough Portland games to really you know get a proper feel for it but I really like his connective play the way he will like lay it off and like keep him keep a move happening you know what i'm saying and then also some uh some pretty nasty finishing and i mean nasty in a good way yeah he also has that like uh mickey from snatch brad pitt's character from snatch like build of <laughs> seems very skinny but also feels like he's maybe harder than a coffin nail i believe yes. is the line about mickey that also seems to apply to uh Ibobasi. <laughs> so don't get in a fist fight in a barn with Ibobasi. i would not <laughs> i can i say uh one more thing about uh the final before of we move course. on you can say as many things as you like mr rockwell Thank you. Uh, Andrew Wiebe wrote a good article for MLS, uh, MLSsoccer.com. Oh, Andrew, the... Andrew Wiebe is back from paternity leave. He is, uh, <laughs> talking about paternity, but then also soccer, uh, but also about the kind of overarching themes of this competition and what these players have gone through and how we shouldn't overlook that. And it features a great quote from uh, Mabiala, who said, uh, this is the second part of the quote, the last 10 days have been very hard because I've had my son calling me every day crying and asking me when I was going to come back. So it's been tough. But you know, when we had these conversations, we just told ourselves that we need to make it worth it. And I think that's exactly what they did. But it is worth remembering what these players have had to give up and how much of a sacrifice they have had to make in order to play in this tournament. Some players who didn't even want to play in this tournament, but kind of had to end up making that sacrifice. And I think it's worth remembering that while we remember Portland as the winners as well. Yeah, and actually, I want to come full circle. And you mentioned at the top, like, oh, who would have guessed that the winners would be Portland, right? And I kind Mm. of agreed with you because at the start of the tournament, you'd be saying, oh, LAFC are the best team and this and that, right? But given what we know about Portland's mentality under Joe Savarese of, you know, that sort of bunker in and will hit you on the counter, um, the concentration it takes to do that, I would say in hindsight, that actually seems like the perfect mentality to go into this weird bubble tournament and emerge victorious. Yeah, I think I should clarify like a bloody-mindedness like, to it. I like that. I like bloody-mindedness. Uh, that does seem like Gio Savarese as well. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I should clarify that if you told me at the beginning of the tournament Portland would be in the final, I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And then if you told me it was Orlando, I'd be like, no, come on. Who's really going in the final? I think that was more so the the surprise that I was I was referencing with maybe a little bit of Portland thrown in there. Because, yeah, I would have gone LAFC or, or somebody else like that. But in the end, we have our Portland Timbers as the champions. And now we have what I think it's it's six months until the season kicks off, right? We've got a long <laughs> wait. Well, there's Dallas-Nashville happening, what, tonight? I, like uh, right now, I think? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, it is right now. Yeah, I mean, Actually, I might watch just to you know, get a look at Pomacal, Ferreira. Uh, Reggie Cannon. Um, I think those teams play again in a few days because those are obviously the two teams that didn't get to play in MLS's yes, back because of COVID stuff. And then MLS regular season seems to start around August 20th, which is just over a mm-hmm. week away. And so, yeah, MLS's back is back. 
Uh, since I have praised MLSsoccer.com, I will then be critical. They did write a, like, where everybody stands sort of article, like a quick ca- catch-up. And all of it was written with this, like, right now they're on the outside of the playoffs looking in. But you expect them to be able to close that. It's like they've played three games, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, they're going to be able to close that gap, I think. Well, won't, do, don't some of the uh, the points from MLS's back carry over? I'm, I'm saying do. this without knowing actually what's happening. They do. I'm specifically referring to FC Dallas, who I think have played two games oh, so I far see. in terms of their regular season standing. It was like, I they see. should be able to close that gap or at least close it. <laughs> a little bit it's like yeah i think so oh if you're an mls fan or a portland fan or an orlando fan and you wanted a much deeper tactical dive on this game um turns out you're in the wrong place you should be listening to mls assist with joe lowry and jordan angeli i actually haven't heard it yet um haven't had time to listen to it uh, but mls assist uh, they will have an episode reviewing mls is back and MLS Assist will have lots more MLS content coming for you um, in the coming weeks. So go find MLS Assist and you'll have a big review of Portland v. Orlando. Yeah, when I, when I initially talked to Joe about what it would be like when the tournament was over, I was telling him, like, you will have that feeling of, like, we've, we've talked about this before, Daryl, of like, should I be working now? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Because once you're, you go from working every single day and watching all these games to then just sort of it dropping off and you don't have anything to cover anymore. I like that they won't have that problem because they basically <laughs> immediately have games to talk about. Straight back into Dallas, Nashville. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> Um, okay, before we talk um, US, tra- U.S. player transfer rumors, mm-hmm. um, we, we've got not a first, but a thing we haven't done in a while, Taylor. It's an inserted ad from Indochino. And that ad, if we've done everything correctly, is going to go right here. And we're back. And Taylor just reminded me that um, he did an Indochino ad on I did, Monday's but we show. didn't. So I think That's, your intro yeah. still works. Technically correct is the best kind of correct, right? I agree, and so does Hermes. <laughs> I'll send you the paperwork to, uh, to triple stamp. Um, let's talk U.S. men's national team rumors, because the rumor we haven't talked about, because it, it happened uh, while you and I were, um, while I was off, basically, Anthony Robinson. Can is- you stop referring to cancer treatment as you being off? <laughs> you were not on vacation, man. <laughs> it wasn't the best vacation, if that's what it was. God. <laughs> Anthony yes. Robinson appears to be on the verge of a move to mm-hmm. Sheffield United, which we never, I don't think we mentioned when we looked at potential places for Anthony Robinson to go. And I want to say straight up, I love this move. I think this looks great for him. Why do you love it? I do too. And it, and it connects to a conversation I had with Adam Bells uh, last week. Uh, but I'd like to hear what you have to say. Um, I, I think the way that Sheffield United play, where they essentially... Everyone talks about the, uh, the centre-backs getting forward, right? But the real key for Sheffield United is the wide overloads. They concentrate mm-hmm. their attacks down wide areas where their wing-backs get forward. Yes, the centre-backs go with them. The midfielders come over as well. A striker comes over and they really... Um, I've heard it described as their game plan is however many men you send to this side of the field, we're going to send one more and then we're going to beat you down this wing. And if you look, like, you go and watch Sheffield United goals from this season, so many of them are getting to the end line and cutting it back. They are determined to get down the wing. I think that's a great um, team for Anthony Robinson to be a part of because he is great at getting down the wing. He is, but that kind of connects to what I was going to say, is that what I wanted to see with a move for Anthony Robinson was that it would 
emphasize to some extent the skill set that he already has, but simultaneously force him to adapt and develop more or not even force him to, but allow him to. And I was worried that we were going to get a sort of like, oh, yeah, we're going to put him here. He's an attacking fullback. He doesn't do much defensively. He runs a whole bunch. It'll work out. And it does seem like with Sheffield United, it will emphasize what he is good at. But I think he will also have to tighten up and get better in 1v1 situations and get better in his decision making and when he goes versus when he stays. I think you can't have that margin of error is much smaller uh, when it comes to the Premier League as opposed to surviving in the championship. So I do think it makes a lot of sense in a lot of different ways. It also, the, the way that I've seen Sheffield United play, Anthony Robinson will have to just get a little tighter with that first touch and that pass because it's yeah, a lot of exactly. quick passing moves down down those flanks, right? I'm not saying he can't do it. He mostly can do it. But I've also seen a lot of evidence of Anthony Robinson just having a slightly ropey first touch. and then, But he manages to recover for Wigan in the championship. I don't know that you do in the Premier League. I'm not saying this no, is going to be a major problem. I'm just saying this is a thing where probably he goes into training with Sheffield United and this is a thing that he probably learns really quickly. Exactly. Exactly, man. Because I, I think there's something to be said for... If he can make it up at Wigan, then it's not a problem. Then it's not a thing that he's going to get yelled at. It's like, yeah, he doesn't have the best first touch, but he always makes up with the speed, and he usually doesn't even try to take that heavy touch unless he knows he has the space. And I think as soon as he goes into some rondos with Sheffield United, or as soon as he's in those kind of scrimmage situations or even match situations, he is going to hear about it if he doesn't tighten yeah. that up. And it does feel like a thing that he will immediately improve if he wants to stay in that starting 11 conversation or even get into that starting 11 conversation. Right, yeah, and that's focusing on the negative. But when he does actually get to play, I think Sheffield United will be really excited to have this guy who can take yeah. people on and make things happen and make progress down the wing, which is what they want to do. The problem is left wing back belongs to Ender Stevens. Mm-hmm. Um, I went and looked at Ender Stevens' um, games uh, in the previous Premier League season. He played 38 games in the Premier League. Sheffield United played 38 games in the Premier League. He played 90 minutes in all but two games. There's one when he came off at halftime and one when he came off with half an hour to go. Apart from that, Ender Stevens was a left wing back for Sheffield United the entire time. You might say, Taylor, that left wing back at Sheffield United is Ender's game. I'll let you say that. <laughs> um, I felt like it was coming. I felt like you were going to find a way to make it happen. But I guess it does technically work. So well done to you, sir. Technic- yeah, again, technically is the best kind of correct. And I would add, uh, going back to that, you, I believe, I can uh, stamp your form in triplicate, provided that it has not previously been double stamped, because as we all know, you cannot triple stamp a double stamp. Um, yeah, uh, so I think with Andrew Stevens there, yes, it does seem like maybe Anthony Robinson is not the starter right away, nor did I really expect him to be. If he's moving to a Premier League team, it seems to me that he's being brought in for depth and maybe as a potential replacement, maybe as a sort of, like, like keep the other player honest, keep them competitive, and then you like spell them a little bit here and there. But also it stands to reason that there will be injuries. Ender Stevens probably cannot go back-to-back 38-game seasons. Yeah. So I'm guessing we will see Anthony Robinson get at least a few games uh, in the first maybe 10 games of the season. And worth noting, Ender Stevens can also play left centre-back. So there's a chance mm. that maybe he uh, that you know they, they end up in the same team at some point. I think if you're Sheffield United and you'd taken a look at Anthony Robinson before, which they, they must have, right? Because this can't be just a, an impulse buy. And you see that his, I don't know the exact figure, but his relegation release clause, now that Wigan are officially uh, relegated, was really, really low, right? It was like one and a half million pounds or two million pounds. And if you just want to add like a young, talented wing back to your squad, this this is just a, like, a no-brainer for Sheffield United. Um, it remains to be seen how many games Robinson will play, but I think it will be 
more than when he was with Everton, for example. So I yeah, see I this so. as a step forward. So uh, though we're excited for the move, it does stand to reason that he will be in Ender's Shadow, uh, <laughs> which is a, another Orson Scott card reference for the seven people out there who got that one. Did you notice my appreciative laugh when you made a good joke? I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I did. <laughs> Let's talk Weston McKinney. Um, I didn't feel great about the silence. I'm not going to lie. I just, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest here. I never really know how to respond to puns because generally speaking, unless it's a very good one, my reaction is, is fairly like, yeah, that was good. That was good. I'll nod. But you can't really <laughs> nod on a podcast. So I never really fully know what to do because you don't want me to fake laugh at those. You don't want sympathy laughs. Have you seen the film Frank with the giant paper mache head? I have seen of the film Frank oh, and right. I know who the actor is who plays Frank. Yeah, so when, because you can't see his emotions, he just speaks them out loud. So okay. you could say things like nods approvingly. <laughs> comical. Comical. <laughs> much comical. That's what I'll say from now on. Let's talk Weston McKinney, oh, comedy. Let's talk Weston McKinney. Um, Less comedy there. So, Weston McKinney, last we left, uh, we were talking about maybe Southampton, mm-hmm. but the rumors seem to be all pointing towards. Her to Berlin. And as I understand yeah. it from what I've been reading at Transfer Markt and Build, um, it's that essentially Schalke are saying we want 25 million euros or so for this player. Southampton were kind of like, uh, that seems like a lot, as mm-hmm. were Everton, as were the non Saudi Arabia owned Newcastle. <laughs> um, and Her to Berlin, because they've got money to spend and they're looking mm-hmm. to just improve that team and make a big splash. It, and uh, Labadia, uh, Ladabia, Labadia, Labadia, um, Labadia seems to be a fan of McKenney, the coach that it seems like Hertha Berlin are the team that's willing to meet Schalke's asking price and to meet Weston McKenney's wage demands. That's my yeah. read on the situation. Yeah, uh, the wage demands especially. And then, yeah, in terms of the asking price, I think it's also a bit more justifiable for Hertha because though you don't often have lots of Bundesliga teams spending lots of money, there is something to be said for almost like the Bundesliga tax of if you're Schalke and you're selling, at this point, one of your best players to a... Bundesliga rival. I don't even know if Schalke are rivals to Hertha this coming season. I guess we'll find out. I mean, things uh, are, honestly, things are really changing because Hertha yeah. are investing and Schalke mm-hmm. have almost done a self-imposed salary cap. Oh, that's what I mean. I, I mean, I don't think Schalke are competitors to Hertha this coming no, season. No, yeah, they're not at all. And, no. Yeah, and so I think with that in mind, if you're Schalke, the optics are not great unless you can hold out for more money. And for Hertha, you're getting a proven Bundesliga player who was a key performer for Schalke last season who could very much be the same for you. So I think with that said... Plus, there is always, I know you don't go with me on this one, but I will say there is always the American market aspect. You know you're going to get more coverage. You're going to get more jerseys sold. That is a thing that I think is considered when you're looking at specifically Harta, who I think want a larger footprint and want to expand that brand a bit more internationally. And it is that fascinating thing, right, where Berlin is the major capital. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no, it's not the capital, right, but it's a major, major city. And I know what you meant. Yeah. And they don't have like a big famous soccer team like almost every other large city does. So um, this this could be really interesting to see if this Hertha Berlin thing can can work out. Um, I've been looking at Hertha Berlin squad, and I'd forgotten I think when we talked about this before that Hertha Berlin have Lucas Toussaint incoming. By the way, Berlin is the capital of Germany. I checked. It that is. To make sure. Oh, thank you, mm-hmm. thank you. Um, Hertha Berlin have Lucas Toussaint incoming. Yeah, they do. So you may remember Lucas Toussaint from being brilliant for Lyon, for scoring in the first leg of the round of 16 game against Juventus for Lyon, but then not being able to play for them um, mm-hmm. later on because he's, because he's moved. Um, I went back and watched a load of Lucas Toussaint footage. He is a magnificent defensive midfielder. He has yeah. great timing. He can step. He's big and strong, like he'll hold you off. And then he can sort of... Uh, 
shield the ball, and then find a quick, easy pass, right? So they've got a proper defensive midfielder coming in, in Lucas Toussaint. There could be a really nice partnership there with Weston McKennie if this move goes through. Which I, I would be happy with, because I think putting Weston McKinney into, I think, any situation aside from Schalke is pretty much a stronger situation and a better situation <laughs> at this point. And I think it gives him more talent around him, and I think it probably helps him develop as a player as well. The one thing I want to talk about as well is uh, sure. Carl Anker's appearance on this mm-hmm. show. So I was really interested to hear Carl's not enthused um, answer to the, the idea of Weston McKinney signing for Southampton. And I really trust Carl, right? I trust I trust his eye. I listen to him a lot and I read his stuff and I really sort of think he's a really good um, analyst, essentially, you know, looking at, uh, looking at players and looking at games and understanding what's going on. And I found it really interesting to think of how I was thinking of Weston McKinney, um, looking at the Weston to Southampton transfer from a Weston McKinney perspective and what's good for Weston McKinney and thinking he could fit in with that style of play. He could do well there. But then hearing Carl look at it from a Southampton perspective, and essentially what I heard from Carl, and I've seen him tweet some stuff as well, was that Weston McKinney would not really improve Southampton, so why spend $25 million on him? And I can really, really see his point. It actually makes sense that, to hear it from that perspective. Weirdly, it took you explaining it one more time for me to actually agree. Uh, because I think... Because <laughs> oh, we talked about this off-air earlier, right? Yeah, and even with Carl, I didn't necessarily go with him. But I think the distinction that I realized I was making that probably should not be made is that I think he is capable of playing the way Southampton want him to play. But I think similar to Anthony Robinson, it probably requires a little bit of training and he kind of gets into the flow of things and figures out what they're asking and then sort of raises his game and can, I do think he can play that style. I do think he can handle it. I think he's been asked to do a couple different things at Schalke. And I think the way they played hasn't been conducive to him playing that Southampton way. But to your point, is that then a player you're, spending that amount of money on who can't quite do it yet but we think we'll probably be able to down the road yeah. probably not and i also heard carl criticize mckenney's passing mm-hmm. um and I, again i kind of agree i think western mckenney is really technically capable of like hitting any pass that you ask him to hit right but i think a conversation we've had on the past in the on the total soccer show um i don't think it's become total soccer show orthodoxy but i kind of feel like it should um is that weston mckenney the the problem with his game is sometimes that he's a young man in a hurry and he's always trying to make something happen when maybe it would be smarter to just retain possession right he is an all-action impact player who is sometimes trying to force passes through that maybe don't need to be forced through daryl you're editing this show right yeah you can go ahead and write this one down. Uh, yeah, there's definitely watching. I watched all of his passing from their last game against Freiburg and their penultimate game against Wolfsburg. Wait, are you going to do a swear? I am. Uh, there is definitely an element of let's go to Weston McKinney <laughs> when he is playing for Schalke. And there's a lot of like, get the ball, turn and play it for it. Like, yeah. We've got to get something going. And it, and it feels to me, I think this is my pro Weston McKinney American bias it feels a little bit like, guys, we've got to score a goal. Yes. <laughs> like, like, I'm going to play it forward. We've got to create something. And that is my only thing that I will say is that I do wonder if he's in a team with more attacking options, more talent around him, where he doesn't maybe feel that pressure to try to create something. Does that passing frequency improve? Does he get a little bit better in his decision-making? I think so. Again, not sure enough to justify that price tag necessarily. I would take some of the evidence of some U.S. men's national team performances and say that it's kind of a Weston McKenney trait that is... Is mm-hmm. exacerbated by the situation at Schalke. 
Um, and it's also worth saying, like, this is a thing we love about Western McKenney, right? We particularly love the LFG attitude that McKenney mm, has. It's, one, well it's one of the reasons that we love him. But it's also a reason why if you're, say, Carl Anker and you're, you know, the Southampton beat writer and you look at a player and watch him and think, will that improve Southampton? Probably not because he's giving the ball away. You know, yeah, so and you really, can really see it. You can. And then and then to extend it further, if you are a person who is not convinced by Weston McKinney or just you don't like what he brings to the table, it's a thing that you're always going to sort of hang your hat on of like, there he goes. Like he's trying too much. He's trying yeah. to make this happen and it's not slowing down. He's not being calm. It's a thing that you can knock him on that I do hope he develops and I do think becomes a less obvious aspect of yeah. his game. And this is this is a conversation we've had in the past. And again, I mm-hmm. want this to become Total Soccer Show orthodoxy. I think like a 24, 25 year old Weston McKinney um, will just be a little bit calmer um, and a little bit more understanding of the idea that you don't always have to FG. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I agree. I still want him as the captain. Uh, yeah. yeah. 24 to 25 year old. I'm good with that. Yeah, same. I mean, same. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I have no reason for justifying that other than some of the clips and my few interactions with him in, in mixers I have enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, he I, seems like a leader. I Let's want, yeah, him. I want him as captain. Just he, he seems like the type of personality that I want leading the U.S. men's national team. Like it doesn't even matter if he's rushing passes. Um, I want him leading, <laughs> leading rondos and leading warmups. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Would you rather have him go to Hertha, Southampton, or Monaco? That's the other most recent team that he's linked with. Definitely Hertha um, okay. over Monaco. I, I think I would still like to see him go to Southampton. I'm, I'm mostly mm-hmm. saying I understand Carl's point of why maybe if you're Southampton, you don't want that. But I think as a more regular Premier League watcher, then yeah, I'd rather McKenny go to Southampton. But as long as, honestly, as long as he leaves Schalke, I'll happily watch some Hertha games next year, as long as I don't have to watch any more Schalke games. We're going to go with another hypothetical. I agree with what you just said, by the way. If Wolves were signing one non-Christian Pulisic American, who would you want that to be right now? If possible, Tyler Adams. Okay. If that's a stretch, that's then, yeah, No, yeah, it's then, anybody. Yeah, it can be anybody you want, my friend. Yeah, I mean, I think Tyler Adams is like basically does a lot of what McKenney does, but does it slightly better with everything, okay. with the exception of winning balls in the air. All right. So Daryl says Tyler Adams is good and Weston McKinney not good enough for his team. Got it. Cool. How dare you? I'd love Weston McKinney. <laughs> All right. I feel like we're circling a little bit here. There's one more rumor yep. that I'd actually just see. I haven't traced it to the source. I just saw it mentioned on Twitter today. Serginho Dest to Juventus. I basically saw rumors that Juventus were thinking of a bid for Serginho Dest. I don't know how solid this is, but it's too exciting not to talk about. I mean, it's, it is like the big team triumvirate, right? Like he's already got Bayern. He's already got Barcelona. We just got to throw Juve in there and see what happens. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, I think, and think? Actually, I think this has been rumored for a couple weeks now. Okay. Maybe it's, maybe it's been, gaining some asleep. traction in terms – what's that? I've been asleep. Well, I think it was like much more of a like rumor of they're rumored to be interested in a new fullback, including blah, 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 and also Sergio Dest. Like there's a bunch of team players that were in there, and I think it's just gotten a little bit more concrete as we've gone on. What do you think about this? So to give the context, Juve's right backs are Danilo and a converted Juan Cuadrado. My order of preference still goes Bayern Munich, Ajax, I will then go Juve and then Barcelona. That is my answer. Okay, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just that with Juve right now, Pirlo has come in, but we don't really know much about him as a coach, aside from the nine days in charge of Juve U23. Unbeaten. Uh, (laughs) Unbeaten as U23 manager. True. True. Uh, But I think, like, anytime there's instability, and that's why I'm, I'm down on Barcelona as well, that team and that, like, entire organization feels like they are 
unstable at the moment. There's a lot of questions to be sorted out. Juve, less so, but it's still Pirlo coming in. Is he going to roll the dice on a young fullback who he doesn't quite know? Is he going to go with kind of consistent veterans until he gets his footing and feels confident? Like, I, there's more risk with either one of those. I won't hate if that happens because any American playing at one of those teams that are gigantic is fine with me. Yeah. But there's just more uncertainty about Barca and Juve right now. All right, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, okay, I'm happy to leave it there, but we'll keep tracking these stories, obviously, um, as they keep developing. Like Some of these moves are going to come to fruition in the next month or so. It's going to be really exciting. I feel like we've got a lot of high-profile Americans making potentially big moves. And if they do, at least some of them will probably be included in some scouting reports. Let's hope so. We have scouting reports today, don't we, Taylor? We do. We do indeed. We've got a few, including some young Americans. But we're going to start with Patrick Delaney scouting Aaron Connolly, the 20-year-old Irish forward for Southampton. It was a quick update from Delaney. Uh, Connolly signed a new four-year deal with Brighton. Aaron was quick to thank his manager for the faith shown this past season. And the new contract shows that Graham Potter, uh, Brighton manager, uh, has faith in Connolly. Ooh, so I don't know the numbers. Southampton. I don't know the numbers here, but like... The first contract you sign when you're suddenly an actual first-team player is probably pretty juicy, right? This might be Aaron Connolly buying a house kind of money. I also think I got this wrong. I think I wrote Southampton in the notes. He's obviously Brighton, right? Yes. Yeah, my bad. I was like, Graham Potter is not the manager of Southampton. Something is wrong. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you said 20-year-old Irish forward for Southampton. I did. My bad. Maybe you got confused with uh, Michael Oberfemi? That could be. Yeah. I'll, that could be. I'll move us on smoothly then to Chris Givens <laughs> scouting Claire Emsley, the 26-year-old English attacker for the Orlando Pride. Chris says, Emsley, who hasn't yet made an appearance for the Pride due to COVID, is heading to the blue side of the Mersey on a six-month loan. This will be Emsley's second loan while under contract with the Pride. Everton management will have to hope this one goes as well as a stint with Melbourne City, where the team won the Australian W League. I would say if Everton win the Australian W League, that would be a big surprise. It'd be very impressive. A lot of travel involved. It's (laughs) going to take a lot out of them, but I think they can do it. Ross Hall scouting Travian Souza, 18-year-old American left-back for Hamburg, a player that I was not aware of, so Daryl, nice assigning. In the 2019-2020 season, Souza started out with the U19s, where he played 14 games and registered four assists. He was subsequently promoted to the Hamburg 2 team in February for the upcoming season. He will start out with their, uh, the Hamburg 2 team and train regularly with the first team, hopefully playing his way into a first-team debut. All right, remember that name, Travian Souza. Um, yep. Josh Dolar is scouting Blake Bodily, the magnificently named 22-year-old American midfielder for the Portland Timbers. Josh says Blake got his debut during MLS's back, who uses the victory sub in the 93rd minute in the Timbers' 3-1 win over NYCFC in the quarterfinals. I love that phrase, victory sub. In the minute and a half he was on the field, his positioning looked good, and he was one out of one on passes. So he was obviously critical to the victory. Correct, Josh. Absolutely correct. I think a lot of pressure with the name bodily. Like, yeah. if your name is Goodbody, like you, you can't you can't be significantly overweight. Otherwise, it's just ripe for puns or ripe for parody. I feel like so, you can't yeah. you can't lose a fifty fifty challenge either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Richard Rolson scouting Ian Harks, twenty five year old American midfielder for Dundee United. Speaking of a name to live up to. Mm-hmm. The 2020-2021 Scottish Premiership season opened with Ian Hark starting for Dundee United in a one-to-one draw with St. Johnston. His play earned him Team of the Week honors in the SPL. No, Harks Scottish cons- Premiership. Scottish Premiership. That's what in it's called. In the SPL. It's not the SPL. <laughs> I did it just to annoy you, and it worked so well. Harks was considered instrumental last season in helping Dundee United earn promotion to the... Scottish Premiership, and he became a controlling force in the middle of the pitch. His play was recognized as he was named to the Scottish Championship team of the season, and he earned an extension to his contract with Dundee United through 2022. That is all very good, but 
Richard correctly points out that at 25 years old, Ian Harks might be a little bit outside of the age for a, a promising young player. So Richard has requested a new scout team, Mr. Grove. No, you will scout him until he is 50. <laughs> And I guess, and I forget that even though I still want to call him Scoutee, it has been pointed out we should just say prospect. (laughs) Okay, yes, Richard, we will find you um, a new player. Um, Taylor, quick history lesson, because I looked this up Mm -hmm. recently. So, back in the 90s, Scotland Mm -hmm. did the same thing as England, and they had a breakaway Scottish Premier League. So, they had a separate league that had their own TV money called the SPL. It didn't work out. And they reabsorbed and formed a whole new thing called the Scottish Professional Football League. The top division is the Scottish Premiership. And then the sequel was Rangers? Excuse me? The sequel to that was Rangers, like re- reforming as a new thing after the other thing didn't work out so well? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how, invo- how much to blame that was, but yeah. <laughs> um, let's move on. Jason Onprasuth right. is scouting mm. Brian Kao. Brian Kao, is how you pronounce that, right? Mm. The 18-year-old American midfielder for Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg 2 have started their preseason with Brian Kao getting the start in the second half of the first two matches so far. Based on short highlights, Kao has looked solid when getting forward and he even scored for Wolfsburg 2 in the 73rd minute of the team's preseason match. All right, Brian Kao. Yeah, very exciting. I will say, though, a slight letdown because I read this too quickly and initially thought it was just Wolfsburg. And I was like, what? He already scored? That's amazing. And then I realized Wolfsburg too, and I got a little sad. But James Jones's report on Andrew Carlton made me a little bit happier. Oh, yes. Andrew Carlton, the 19-year-old American attacker, on loan at Indy 11 from Atlanta United. Carlton is regaining the confidence that he showed earlier in his career, and we got an eyeful of that against Louisville. He, uh, for one goal, he backheel, flicked the ball to a teammate, continued to run down the right flank, received a pass, and played a perfect ball into Tyler Pasher to draw Indy 11 level at 1-1. Uh, moments later, he nearly put Pasher through for the winner, but the finish was was not to be for his efforts Carlton was named USL's man of the match so I've I've seen this goal and that assist is exactly as exciting as James makes it sound it's a really clever little flick and then run down the wing and then a perfect cross um, into the path of Pasha yeah so we can get excited about Andrew Carlton again even if at a USL level Bells and I talked about him a little bit and how he is sort of one of the players that everybody got hyped about and now we're yeah. not sure what to make of him he was like, Bells's biggest disappointment basically or his first <laughs> disappointment right yep um, wh- where are you on Andrew Carlton? Like, do you, do you still have optimism? Like, were you watching that highlight because you're like, come on, Andrew Carlton? Like, are you like, are you still actively rooting for him? Yeah, I mean, I don't now think he's going to go and play for Barcelona, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm still actively rooting for him to. I mean, he's 19. I'm actively rooting for him to be a creative, attacking American midfielder that will one day contribute at the major league soccer level like like significantly and get national team looks and maybe eventually get a move abroad but i don't now think he's like on the list of potential ballon d'or winners oh yeah no but i guess what i mean is i feel like i have memories and maybe they're incorrect but like memories of you sort of like being on that hype train of being pretty excited about andrew carlton feeling like this kid is going to do big things i'm really excited to see what comes next and then Things don't go quite that well, but I feel like you, Daryl, have been a little bit in his corner. You've been a little bit yeah. like keeping tabs on him, hoping he steps it up. And so I guess that's what I mean is like, ha- is that correct? Have you sort of been in his corner seeing if he is turning it around? So, I mean, I can't say I've been watching intently, right? Mm-hmm. But I can't. Yeah, I am in his corner because the original reason we were really excited about him is he came to fame at that U17 World Cup at a time when there wasn't a lot of creativity. A lot, yeah, there weren't a lot of true. creative American players. So it was really exciting to see someone who, um, Will Parchman, I think, described him as someone who, like Clint Dempsey, quote unquote, tries stuff. You know yep. what I'm saying? But yep. since Andrew Carlton, we've had a lot of other American players come through 
who try stuff, right? You've had the, the ascent of Pulisic and Giorena mm-hmm. and Ulysses Yanez. And it's almost like he's, he's not like the only hope now for a creative attacking player that the US might have. So we don't have to pin all our hopes on him, but we can still, you know, just hope for his own sake that he has an exciting career. But we're not saying this is all the creativity America has to offer um, is at Indy 11. Well said, sir. Well said. You, you're welcome. <laughs> that really was that was a good explanation and I like it and I am now optimistic and uh, happy for Andrew Carlton and for James Jones and for Jason Richard Josh Ross Chris and Patrick for those lovely scouting reports oh nice naming Taylor nice naming um, if you would like to join the scouting network the URL is totalsoccershow.com slash join you financially support the show help us out and we will assign you a player um, and again Richard Rolson we will get you a new player. You're right. Ian Hawks is too old to be a prospect at 25. <laughs> uh, my wife and I just had to replace our entire HVAC system. So, yeah, go ahead and join that scouting network if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Rockwell, we'll be back uh, tomorrow to hopefully watch Tyler Adams in a Champions League quarterfinal. Can you imagine? Um, RB Leipzig no. against Atletico Madrid. Um, until then, I will say thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will be back again tomorrow. Uh, Fubo TV is over the top. Inter- is it over the top? What, what, what am I calling this? Damn it, I've got this wrong. Ah! <laughs> I was on such a roll. What do you call it? Maybe it is over the top. Over the top? What do you mean? What are you trying to say? It's, um, there's a phrase for like, like a TV replacement. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no, I don't know. Um, a dope ass streaming service. Also, really quickly while we're paused, did you see that Reddit post today? No, which one? About how, uh, I think people really enjoy you adding outtakes at the end. Oh, really? No, I didn't or At least there's that. one post about, like, I've been really enjoying that. It makes me feel like I'm still connected to them even after the show is over. So feel ah. free to use this one as an outtake, my friend. Damn it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably have to include that part now. <laughs> <laughs>